Making the community a healthier place is always at the forefront of what we're doing at the Portage Health Foundation. And one of the ways we're doing that is with the PHF podcast. I'm Michael Babcock, and I host this podcast where we tell the stories of the people, organizations, projects, and events that are focused on improving the health of our community. From meeting the people behind the scenes at our farmers markets, understanding more about our local education, emergency services, nonprofit, or criminal justice systems, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Simply search Portage Health Foundation. Welcome back to Copper Country Today. I'm Grant Ducetto. I filmed this interview yesterday at the Calumet Theater Ballroom with Dan Jamison and Jacob Mihalich. It's brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation. You can learn more about them at phfgive.org. So as we sit here today, we're about three months since you took over as board president. And Jacob, you obviously took a much larger role as far as the operations of the theater. How would you grade those three months? And were there any surprises along the way? You know, it's actually kind of interesting. I'm, I'm actually a volunteer. A lot of people think that I work here, but I, I just donate probably a few hundred hours of my time a year to the theater. Um, but I'm really excited about where we're, where we're headed here. I think we're kind of in a period of new growth and kind of more interest in the theater. Um, you know, sometimes you need to take a dip to kind of start climbing the mountain. And I think that's the point we're at here is, you know, I, I want to move forward and I just want to, you know, pour our heart and souls into this theater to bring it back to where we need to be. And, restore it to where you know where it deserves to be and i can follow along with that the reason i'm here is because of work that jacob did over the summer to shine a light on the theater and i was aware of it i've been around the area for a long time but he pointed out the things that could be done with it needed to be done with it so i came to the meeting and subsequently got elected to be chairman the first two and a half months were grueling uh, because we had to redo all of our insurance policies. We had to make sure all of our filings were up to date, which they weren't, um, and get basically a, a platform under us from which we could then turn the theater back on, which we were able to do on the 6th of Jan- January. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the insurance policies. I'm not privy to every conversation, but I don't remember that coming up when you first took over, and then all of a sudden, here we are in December, (laughs) and the theater's closed. Right, and so it was a surprise to me, too. Um, It turned out that the carrier that we had was uncomfortable with um, insuring the theater because there was a bunch of news that went out about flooding and damage and stuff like that, which was incorrect. Um, This building had a new roof on it a couple of years ago. All buildings weep a little bit, especially if you turn the heat way down, you get condensation. And so every day for the first couple of weeks, I walked around inside the building high and low to, you know, keep an eye on things. It was difficult to convince the previous carrier that all the stories that they had heard were incorrect and they didn't want to come up and visit. That turned out to be fortunate. Um, Our current carrier specializes in theater operations, does so at a significantly lower rate with better coverage. So we have far more coverage than we're required to have by the uh, lease that we have with the village. It's a company that understands what we're attempting to do by putting on shows, performing arts, and things of that nature. It's a much better fit. So sometimes something awkward has to happen to get a better situation. We made the decision early on, though, to go dark immediately. Um, One of the criticisms I heard of the theater in the previous years was they didn't do things quickly. So, for example, if a concert canceled, 
we would rebook that concert and rebook them and then rebook them and hold on to people's money for a year, over a year. And so we figured we'll refund the money when Joe Nichols canceled. We're going to go dark immediately until we have our, our insurance in place. We want to be responsive, reactive, and timely. I know one of the criticisms, especially over the summer, from members of the theater was that they didn't know what was going on. They couldn't reach the the board, especially the board president, and they were just kind of left out in the dark. I know that one of the cornerstones of, of your uh, tenure so far has been to repair those relationships. How do you think that's going? Well, and I wouldn't necessarily call them repair, but address concerns that the members had. There's a number of different ways that boards can operate, one of which is they meet, they decide, and they do things. For a theater in a community such as Calumet, it's better to have the doors open um, and the lights on and have anybody that wants to come in and hear what's going on come in because we can get their input. It gives us food for thought. It gives us things we can do. It seems like it's a better idea to bring them in as a resource than to cut them out and just tell them how we're going to do things. And Jacob, maybe you can talk about what you've learned being a volunteer, but obviously you've seen kind of the machinations of this, getting this back up off the ground. How different is it from perhaps what you thought last summer? Oh, wow. I, I guess I don't even know where to start with that. Um, I, I want to say I've grown up in this theater and I have seen, you know, three different administrations. I've seen many people come through the doors and I think for the most part, we've all had a common goal to do what's right for the theater. And um, some have done that better than others. You know, in, in the past summer, it just, they shut everyone out. And, um, you know, where we've gone since then is, you know, bringing people back in. And I, I'm in here almost every day, so I, I see how things are working. And um, I think we're moving in the right direction with that. As far as repairs, improvements, maintenance, I was in here a couple weeks ago for a Calumet Council meeting. The ballroom looks to be in really good shape. Maybe the best I've ever seen it. A lot of paint on the walls that's been freshly upgraded. What have you guys been doing from that standpoint in the well, last couple months? We made a decision early on to have Ariel and Leo stay on full-time for the entire winter. And we've given them free range to walk around the theater and do things that they think are appropriate. This is an example. <clears throat> the fact that there's a mannequin that randomly moves from seat to box and so forth in the theater just to scare the heck out of people walking in in the dark. <laughs> um, they've recently moved a lot of the merchandise downstairs so people can come in for a tour and see the shirts they can get, grab a soda, grab some hot chocolate, just make this a more open and appealing space. I believe in November, the Keweenaw National Historical Park said that they were going to be doing an envelope review of the building, essentially the the outside, not just the exterior walls, but the guts from that you can't see anything behind the walls that is kind of um, um, regulating the air that's coming in and out of the building, the insulation, that kind of stuff. Do you know where they're at with that? So it turns out I'm also on the National Park Advisory Commission, um, and it was our advisory commission that found the funding. Wendy Davis found it for the Park Service. The advisory commission was able to engage UP engineers and architects. And when they came in to look, I spent the day walking around with them, taking them out on the roof, showing them how theaters work and why they're different than most buildings. Um, and from what I understand at our meeting on Wednesday, um, 
there was a restart. They weren't able to start in November. They had to do a restart at the beginning of the year. And it should be a couple weeks out. We'll have an idea. The idea, as Wendy said, was to let the building have a voice. Um, because we're the theater company. The village is also a tenant or occupant of the building. But nobody listens to the building. And so I think I'm... I'm waiting with bated breath to see what they come up with because there's also grants and funding that we can help the village with to repair, replace, restore things in accordance with how the Park Service wants it to be done for a historic building such as this. The building's 100 years old. I know theaters in particular, they're a little bit different than everything else. It's just a different type of architecture. Are there any quirks that you found <laughs> with, this, with this particular building? No, I haven't. I've seen theaters all over the world that put shows into an awful lot of them. The buildings are all fundamentally designed as the same type of machine. The first thing people notice on the stage is the acoustics. Well, that's because the floor in front of it is actually a, a reverberatory floor, floor. It resonates with what comes off. Every surface facing the stage has a purpose. Even the heating system, which is on the back wall, an old steam heating system, has a purpose. It's to push the pressure wave of the heat and humidity forward, up, and out. Once you understand that this is a machine and it can run and ran well without electricity for a long time, we don't need the latest heat pumps, we don't need the latest, you know, acoustic electronic devices and speakers and stuff like that. In fact, it sounds better when you just stand on the stage and talk. This particular theater, is it built similarly to something that would be you know, constructed today, or have there been a lot of changes as far as architecture? Goes? It's interesting. Um, I toured the Sydney Opera House, for example, which was relatively recently built. And the outer shell of the thing is completely separate from the inner shell of the theater but they had to do so much electronic sound manipulation to get you know, the sound to come back out. This was built to do it holistically. Um, you'll see most modern theaters have to rely on electronic um, support to make the sound and make the, the experience good. This thing was built before they had all of those things. Um, you hear people say, well, we need air conditioning in the building. These type of theaters are all across North America and across Florida and, and Texas and so forth. And they do just fine in the summer without air conditioning, just because of the way that the building moves air. Mm -hmm. Probably a lot of crutches that you can employ today that you didn't have when they were making this or building this That's back in the we early 1900s. Employ, but we don't need to. Mm -hmm. And so part of the Park Service um, review of this is to say, let's not put air conditioners in all the windows. You know, let's not do certain things mechanically. Let's let the building do as it was designed to do. Mm -hmm. And they've done them well. There's theaters across North America, for example. There was one, there's one down in Kalamazoo, the State Theater, for example, that had Gary Hannon in a couple weeks ago. It's on the historic register. It's the same type of theater and the same type of acoustic experience. We talked to Gary, you know, after he played here and after he played there. And, he said the similarities are amazing. You walk out on the stage and you know exactly where you are in real time. Getting acts up here. You mentioned Kalamazoo. It's a little bit closer to big cities like Chicago, Grand Rapids, Detroit. Calumet, not so much. <laughs> Is it difficult to, to get acts to make their way up to the UP? Um, yes and no. We have a whole lot of things up here that other areas of Michigan and, and North America don't have. 
Um, where else can an act go do their thing and then go outside, grab a snowmobile, and go to Copper Harbor? Or an ATV, or go fishing, or do any of those other quality of life things that we have up here? Um, and that is what we're finding is bringing people to our attention. Um, we're going to announce in the next couple of days that we have an act coming up um, for Copper Dog. They requested to come up for Copper Dog. They wanted to see, you know, a, a dog sledding activity. Um, they want to see the area in the winter. They want to try snowmobiling. Um, so stay tuned for that as well. That's that's an act that actually asked to come up and participate. You're involved with the Keweenaw Snowmobiling Club. Yes, You're I involved am. with the Keweenaw National Historical Park Advisory Committee. You're involved with the theater. Serendipitous, or did you plan it like that? Well, and there's <laughs> Where you two, can kind of tap into some of these. There's, there's two more. There's the Mine Hoist Association. I'm mm -hmm. on that board. And Gogebic Community College. I'm on their foundation board. And it all happened by virtue of the fact that I can work remotely from here with a country that is several hours ahead of us. So I get up a little earlier, and that gives me the entire afternoon to come and play in areas that I grew up around. My grandfather and great-grandfather were with CNH, and I'd grown up hearing the stories, and after everything closed in the 70s, got to wander around the sites. And now I can be involved in making sure those sites are accessible, and I can go see things I was unable to see as a kid, because at that point they'd already locked the doors. So this is a labor of love, and the piece that ties it all together is there's an interconnect with all of them. The Mine Hoist Association works with the Advisory Commission, which works with the Park Service. The guy that runs the operations at the Mine Hoist came here and became a member, and he comes to all of our board meetings. There's just this, this cross-pollination and interest. The Gogebic Foundation, Gogebic has a place in the old mall in Houghton, but they also do a lot of work with the Calumet High School. And you can have degree work done at Calumet High School and be in this area. So keep coming to the same school. And they also offer things like outdoor recreation management. What could be more perfect up here than, you know, you get your degree in outdoor recreation management and then step outside and do it. Jacob, you mentioned you've been in this theater a lot over your lifetime. Did you know most of the stories before you embarked on the adventure of the last several months or have you been learning a lot since? You know, I mean, one of the beauties about this theater is I, I've grown up in this building, but you never, never stop learning. <laughs> the, the more time you spend in this building, the more it will show to you. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I've known a lot of the stories for most of my life, but there's always little quirks and little things that you're learning. You know, you learn why we have steam heat, you learn who performed here, and I'm always finding little articles and things about the theater that might have been written 120 years ago. So you learn something new. Um, a couple years ago, I found the plaster um, ornamentation that used to go around our original copper chandelier that would hang in the auditorium. Well, that's been gone since 1918. So, you know, there's always little things, little pieces of history that have been kind of lost in this building that are waiting to be rediscovered. And um, there's, there's a lot of that to do around here. So um, that's part of what keeps me interested in this building is that, you know, I'm, I'm, never, I'm never done learning. And, you know, even though I know more than most people, I, I sure do not know it all. And I'm always learning something every day. So I, I truly love that about this place. You're obviously fairly young. And here you are talking about a building that's over 100 years old. Do you think that's unique or do you think that there's a lot of people your age that would be excited to learn more about the history of this area? 
You know, um, that's, that's kind of an interesting question. I think it's, it's a twofold thing. There's kind of, a, there, I'd say there's a lot of people my age who maybe aren't interested in history and that's, that's okay, but I think there's a lot of people who might have the same interests of, as me, but they don't know how to get involved and they don't know how to start. I mean, I've got a lot of friends who maybe haven't spent a lot of time learning about history, but the more I bring them into this place, the more they want to become involved. And a lot of people are like that. So um, I, I don't think it's a thing where young people aren't interested in history. I think a lot of people just don't know how to get involved, and that's as simple as picking up the phone for you know whatever place it may be. It doesn't have to be the theater, and just asking, how can I help? How can I be involved? And I guarantee you, most places are more than happy to take you on. And you know that might be five hours a week, it might be 10, it's probably as much as you want it to be. But um, you know, it's, it's easy to learn more about our history. You just need to take that first step. Well, and more interestingly too, Jacob is downplaying the role that he's had introducing people to the theater. We had about 600 people come through across the stage for Trunk or Treat. And they would come past Jacob, they would come past the team doing balloons and face painting and all that stuff and they would walk to the front of the stage and look up and clap their hands or sing or say something. As they say, absence makes the heart grow fonder. For a year and a half, nobody could get in here. Yep. Now that you're reopened and full, do you think that there's a groundswell of interest in this building? There will be. Um, we have to manage the speed with which it comes back because as things are happening across the country with waves of, of closures and so forth, I don't want to overset expectations. Um, we have a protocol where we sanitize everything before and after events. Um, we do certain things, you know, just to make sure we have the right number of people in here. Um, for example, when the uh, show didn't go off, Joe Nichols show didn't go off in November, we didn't oversell the fact that it was a free event. We wanted to have just enough people in here to enjoy what we did without packing the place. Um, this place will do quite nicely with a moderate level of traffic. And that moderate level of traffic then, as things improve across the entire area, we can start opening the doors a little more broadly and pushing a little harder. You've done a wide variety of different events since you took over in October. Sky's the limit, it seems, as far as what you can do in here. Are you finding new or perhaps things that you didn't expect that you would be able to do with the theater that you're now taking a chance on? I've seen it all. Um, <laughs> I've actually I've put Disney on ice in a theater such as this in Caracas, Venezuela. So the sky's the limit for what can happen in an envelope. That's why these buildings were built this way, to take on vaudeville, to take on all kinds of different acts. What's going to be interesting is... Um, there is a proposal to do something with the space next to us that the farmer's market occupies during the summer. We'd like to do a little bit more on the outside. Maybe have a busker stage, for example, along the side of the, the uh, theater. We've got dressing rooms that are just downstairs. So if somebody wants to come up and just do music for the entire time, pop down the stage, go down to the dressing room and change. Plus we can run utilities, we can run sound and stuff like that. So we're just trying to broaden the envelope um, it doesn't have to be inside the theater. Um, should be close to the theater. But <laughs> <laughs> Today, there's going to be dog sled events over in Agassiz Park, and I know they have the spaghetti dinner for the Capper Dog. You mentioned that you're about to have an act in here right around Capper Dog weekend. 
Is the theater able to play off of some of that and maybe open its doors and get some attention when people well, are coming in for other things? More importantly, not to play off it, but to support it. The Snowmobile Club, for example, can groom the roads that the, the sledders are going to be on so that they're safe um, all the way up to Copper Harbor. The idea for having an act come in here on Saturday night, the 5th, is because there's going to be an awful lot of people in town. Calumet is packed wall to wall, 10 or 12 people deep on either side of 5th Street for the entire length. Come on over and warm up, get some hot chocolate. See a, see a movie maybe during the day about dog sled racing. So yeah, we'd, we'd like to resonate with the community as opposed to competing with it. When you have to do repairs, is it easy to find people who have a knowledge of what they're working with or is it more difficult given the age of the building? Um, it is okay to find people. Um, we have some people that have invested in buildings in Calumet, like the Agassiz House and some of the others that have those competencies. I, there was a, a high lift on 6th Street up the street a little ways where the guy that had owned it, or guy that owned it, did all the pointing architecturally correctly. Um, so we can find them, and what's more interesting is there's starting to be a group that specializes in theaters around North America come over here and spend some time on a project. Regular repairs, roofing, stuff like that, we can find contractors locally, but one of the things that UP engineers and architects is gonna do is tell us what we need to do to stabilize plaster, restore plaster, what the plaster is actually made of, so that we don't have two different types of plaster that are interacting badly with each other. Um, so we have the park service that gets us access to those resources and possible federal grants to uh, implement it. As far as theaters in the area, obviously the Rose Center on the campus of Michigan Tech, but there's also, say, the Orpheum in Hancock. Are there ways to set up agreements or different ways to work uh, so that Enact isn't coming all the way up here, say, for just one day? Maybe they're coming up for a couple of shows to sweeten the pot a little bit for them. Yep, Grant, you nailed it, because these things were all built to be on a circuit, and the idea was 80 to 90 miles apart so that the act could break down Sunday night, set up Tuesday, open Wednesday and do two or three different theaters per week. So all the stages are roughly the same dimensions, all the layouts are roughly the same. You walk into a theater, you know right where to look for electric. There was a couple in the news, I think about a month and a half ago, that bought the theater in Onnagan. And they're thinking of doing the same thing. Um, there's just, these are, are really cool venues. The State Theater, for example, in, in Kalamazoo that I mentioned before, that came up because there was a newspaper article that Governor Whitmer had mentioned that it was one of the most unique theaters in the state. Well, it's almost exactly the same as us, and we've been on the historic register since 71. Let's get that message out here. Let's help the people in Ontonagon make their theater you know, part of the circuit. Let's work with the one in Ishpeming or, or in Marquette, or even all the way over towards the Sioux because who doesn't want to come up here in the summer? Mm -hmm. And we can get the bands that want to come up here as a quality of life thing, come up and play.
If you're talking the city of Detroit, say the Michigan Opera House or Orchestra Hall, their season tends to be probably October to April. And then once you get into the summer, you're mostly taking things off. They perhaps are doing some stuff outside, maybe Pops concerts. But the main season for all those venues is the fall until the spring. Whereas here, it seems like we can really tap into the fact that people want to be here in the summertime. And maybe we can get some acts up here to play during that time period. So we have to be careful because we're kind of counter-cyclic with the cities. So our real slow time would be from beginning of January through April. Just obviously the weather, we had to get here today. <laughs> um, but we draw a lot of people from Wisconsin, from the Lower Peninsula, from Minnesota, into this area over the summer. Then we can cater to bigger acts during the summer. In the winter months, we would like to do things like show movies, um, you know, get that auditorium feeling back. Specialty shows, but smaller, smaller types of acts, um, and for a lot less money in the winter months. Um, so yeah, it works out very nicely actually because the countercyclic nature of it means there's all these acts that don't have a theater to go into because there's no population to come and see them. Um, you see all the shows that are happening outdoors as well during the summer up here. Um, we can play perfectly into that. Jacob, maybe you can talk a little bit about the, the different places that people come when they check out the theater. Is it mostly local or do you get a lot of people from Wisconsin, Minnesota, Illinois, downstate, that kind of stuff? You know, I have given um, tours here for a summer or two and, you know, throughout the year. And I think one thing that's consistent is you never know where people are going to come from. Um, I've had people, you know, who might live in Calumet and they come for a tour and they've, they've never set foot in the building and they're amazed to see it. I've had people come from Kalamazoo, Lansing, um, Minnesota, Wisconsin. I had, I had a guy come from New York just because we have um, um, our fly lofts, which is how we move our curtains up and down. Um, are what's known as a hemp house, meaning we use ropes, pulleys, and sandbags. And that's not something you see in theaters nowadays. It's not something you can find in most theaters. And someone came all the way from New York City to Calumet to see that. Um, I've had people come from different countries interested in touring the theater. Uh, people come from everywhere to see this building. And I think that, you know, maybe locals are, um, you know, we take it for granted sometimes, but people in other areas don't necessarily do that. And, um, you know, so people are happy to come from anywhere, and it, it truly is a gem no matter where you're from. The, the member ranks, where are we at as far as that goes? And if somebody's interested in becoming a member, how would they do it? You know, I think we're about, you know, somewhere between 450 or 500 members, and we're always looking to grow that. Um, becoming a member is extremely simple. You can actually purchase a membership online if you visit our website. You can call the theater box office, or you know, if you're more comfortable, you can come on in and you know get purchase some hot membership chocolate. and yeah, get some hot <laughs> chocolate and you know come on in and see us. You can mail in your membership. I mean, there's there's multiple ways to do it. If you want more information about that, you can always visit us on our website at calumettheater.com or call the box office. This is kind of an interesting arrangement because we're sitting essentially on top of Village Hall at the moment. The ballroom and the theater, it's all connected. What's the relationship like with the Village of Calumet right now? Well, the interesting part is, historically, this was the first building before the theater existed. And you can see pictures of just this side of the building. There's a metaphorical wall between the theater and the village. But more recently, it's just as easy to go in and say hi to Amber and tell her what's going on in real time. 
Mary Ellen Leo, periodically when they're carrying a popcorn machine down the stairs, they stop in and wave. And I immediately, when we had trouble with insurance, for example, went into Amber and said, hey, we don't have insurance right now. Um, we're technically in breach of our, our agreement, our lease agreement. Let's be really forthcoming with how we address this to your satisfaction. There's a fundraiser coming up. Jacob, maybe you can do a little tease what people should be looking for. I believe the announcement is going to be February 4th. There is, yes. I'm, I'm chairing our um, annual fundraiser for this year. You know, we always have to do something new. And I, I think this is something that the community is really going to be able to engage in and be excited about. It's something we've never done before, and it has the potential to really um, be quite lucrative to the winner. Um, so we're actually going to announce our fundraiser on Friday, February 4th, um, following a showing of Brewster's Millions as the um, indicator of how lucky the winner might be, <laughs> hopefully. Um, so we're going to open the doors at 7 for that and showtime at 7.30. So tickets will be going on sale um, you know, around February 4th for our annual fundraiser. So we're hoping the community gets engaged and excited about this because um, you know, we definitely always need funds to improve things. and. I'll keep the building. We ran an article about the grain reopening when you showed It's a Wonderful Life, and we got a lot of play on that on social media and the like. How was the turnout, and what do you think the interest right now is in the theater? The turnout was interesting because it's an old movie, and to see five, six, and seven-year-olds leaning up on the balcony, looking down on the stage to try and figure out what's going on. It's in black and white. They have not seen black and white movies. Some of the adults were interesting because they were doing like we used to do in auditoriums as kids. You know, you'd punch each other in the elbow and you'd make fun of something somebody said on the screen. <laughs> and all of a sudden we were all five and six again. Um, we had a nice pre-meeting, you know, an hour before where Rice Krispie treats and all that other cool stuff. Uh, Leo's husband came and played guitar. It was just a, a nice way to spend the afternoon. Jacob Mihalich, Dan Jamison, thank you very much for joining me on Gapper Country Day. Thank you, Grant. Thank you for having us.